Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. I am a glass is overflowing kind of girl. It's not just half full, it's overflowing. I believe in a miracle making God, okay? I believe that faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain and a mountain will be moved tonight, okay? All right, got that out. I'm wearing it proudly, okay? So welcome to Soul City Church. I'm Jeannie Stevens. I'm glad that you are here. I'm one of our lead pastors, and we are in a second week of a series called God's Politics. And today we are going to look at what would God say to us in this election season, specifically when it comes to the idea of money, of money. And in just nine days, we are going to head to the polls and we are going to determine who the next leader of the free world is going to be. And the tension is thick, isn't it? You can feel it. You can feel it when you turn on the television. You can feel it when you turn on Facebook and you instantly want to turn off Facebook. You can feel it when you look at a newspaper and the candidates, they're pulling out all of their stops. They're making their promises. They are smearing their opponent's plans. They are working up to the very last minute to try to secure your vote. And you feel it, don't you? You feel it every single where you go. And, and I don't know about you, but as I've been walking through this election season, I have felt the tension. Have you felt the tension? Uh, I have had so many feelings. I thought about hiring a counselor just to walk me through the election season, just to help me process all my feelings, because I have so many of them. And I have been thinking that really the problem, the problem with this election is that maybe the issue is that we just don't have the right candidates. Maybe we just don't have the right candidates on the ticket. Now, some of you are getting really nervous, like, oh, man, you're not supposed to talk about politics and church. And I'm going there. I'm going there today. I just wonder, maybe the two people that are on the ticket up there, they're missing someone. They need somebody else amongst them that can really bring us back to the kind of country we want to be. And friends, I'm going to tell you who to vote for today. I'm going to tell you who to vote for today. And about six days ago, you believed in this man, okay? Six days ago, you thought this man was going to do amazing things. And friends, I want to ask you to restore your hope in this man. Because friends, I believe yes. Madden for president, okay? Madden for... Now that should have been much more cheering. Much more cheering. Friends, here's the thing. You all were having crazy fun a couple of nights ago, okay? And now you're in church and you're like, oh, I don't know. Can I have fun? Should I sell? I don't know. Yes, yes, yes. I went to go see a TED Talk on Friday night with a friend of mine. And the entire time... I was doing what I normally do here at church. I was like, mm, uh-huh, yeah, come on. Yes, I like that. Go, come on. That is good. I was talking back to the speakers. My friend looked at me and she's like, do you do this everywhere you go? I was like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And that's what I expect of you today, all right? So you're coming with me? 
All right, you are coming with me. I know this is not Wrigley, Wrigley Field, but some of you need some church today. You need a good sermon today, especially for how you've been acting over the last couple of days. So I plan to give you, I plan to give you a good sermon today. Now, I know that we have a ton of feelings about the election. We have a ton of feelings about the candidates. We have a ton of feelings about the state of our nation. And what's interesting to me is that we can make a joke and we can talk about, you know, writing in Joe Madden for president. But you know what's possible? Even though you could find nothing wrong with him today, you could find a ton of things wrong with him in two days. Okay? That's what we do. That's what humans do. And that is why we don't put our faith in candidates. We don't put our faith in presidential plans. We don't put our faith into elections. We put our faith into action. More specifically, we put our faith in Jesus, who invites us to put our faith into action. And one of the most important areas where we are called to put our faith into action is when it comes to this. Money. When it comes to this, when it comes to money, and last week Jarrett mentioned that there are three things when we are in mixed company that you're never supposed to talk about. You're not supposed to talk about religion, you're not supposed to talk about politics, and you're not supposed to talk about money. And last week he talked about politics and he talked about religion. Friends, I'm talking about all three today, okay? And Jarrett's out of town, so you just know who to put your hope in as your lead pastor, okay? I'm going after all three today, and I want to talk about God's politics when it comes to to money, but most people, most people do not like to talk about money with God. We just don't like to mix those two subjects up. It gets very uncomfortable for us, and yet, and yet, God feels the exact opposite. In fact, throughout the scriptures, there are over 2,300 verses on the topic of money on the topic of wealth, on the topic of contentment, on the topic of greed, on the topic of the poor, on the topic of the rich. And I considered for this sermon just reading every single one of those verses to you. Um, you know, the only other topic that is discussed more in this book is the topic of love. And so if it is important to the heart of God to talk about money, I think it is important for us to talk about money. And who better to talk about money with than God? But as I was studying the past couple of weeks, I got really curious around why it is that God likes to talk about money with us, but we don't like to talk about money with God. And the more I examined the scriptures and had conversations and even looked at it in my own life, I landed on what I believe are the two primary reasons why we don't like to mix God and money together. The first is because we have all kinds of stories when it comes to God and money. We, we've got all kinds of stories about why God would give some people money and why he wouldn't give other people money. And most of the times when we have stories, they quickly move beyond what we think and they become judgments. And very rarely do we like to take our judgments to God. We just like to hold our judgments and feel proud about our judgments. The second reason why people don't like to talk about money with God is because the primary feelings, as I did research and I looked into what do most people feel when it comes to money, the three primary emotions that people feel when it comes to money are fear, 
shame, and anger. Those are the three primary emotions that people feel when it comes to the topic of money. They feel fear, they feel shame, and they feel anger. And it's no surprise we don't like to talk about it with God because oftentimes we don't like to bring our fear, shame, and anger to God. And I wonder, I wonder if it's because we have given this thing called money way more power than it has ever asked for. You know, when you think about money, has money ever asked anything of you? Like when you really think about money, has this ever asked anything of you? Like have you ever had a moment where you're at home and somebody rang the doorbell or they knocked on the door and you went to the front door and there was a dollar bill standing there? And you opened up the door and the dollar bill was like, hey, it's so nice to meet you. My name is Money. I know we don't know each other yet, but we're going to develop a really close relationship and you're going to really like me. That is until you don't like me. You see, money has never come knocking on my door asking for something of me, but I have sure given money a lot. And one of the very best books that I have ever read on money is called The Soul of Money. It's by an author named Lynn Twist. And this is what she says. She says, money has only the power that we assign it. And we have assigned it immense power. We have given it almost the final authority. If we look only at behavior, it tells us that we have made money more important than we are. We have given it more meaning than human life. Humans have done and will do terrible things in the name of money. They have killed for it, enslaved other people for it, enslaved themselves to joyless lives in pursuit of it. Rarely in our life is money a place of genuine freedom, joy, or clarity, yet we routinely allow it to dictate the terms of our lives and often to be the single most important factor in the decisions we make about work, love, family, and relationship. You see, this has never asked anything of you, but you have sure given a whole lot to it. Every one of us has given this more power and authority and control than it has ever asked us to give it. In fact, I'm curious in this room, how many of you, how many of you, if you were to be honest and you're in church, so it's a good place to be honest, how many of you, if you were to be honest, you would say, I have given money more power than I wish I have given it at different times in my life. I have made it mean something more than I think it was meant to mean. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I have done the same thing. And as I mentioned, the scriptures are filled with God's love and his care for us and his almost knowing, his almost knowing that we have this capacity to do this with money. In fact, listen to what he says to us in 1 Timothy 6. He says, people who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people eager for money have wandered even from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. By giving this more power than it deserves, we can even pierce ourselves with many griefs. Making money mean something more than what it was intended to mean can be a trap that literally leads you down a pathway of foolishness and destruction that is so hard to come back from. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income because this too is meaningless. So when we make money mean something more than it was intended to mean, and we begin to develop feelings for this, okay? We develop feelings for this, like the kinds of feelings that we should only have for a dear loved one. We develop feelings like this. We build a relationship with this. And sometimes our relationship with this is even better than our relationship with some people. God did not intend for us to have that kind of relationship with money. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have I was talking with a couple of friends of mine this past week, and, and these two friends, they happen to have um, what I would say is an extreme amount of financial blessings in their lives. In fact, they could go out and make uh, some excessively uh, dumb financial decisions. They could make some poor business moves, and they would still be fine. And we were talking this last week and they were sharing with me that even though they, in my mind and in their mind, have more than enough, they were both sharing that at different seasons of their lives, when they had more than enough, they gave money the head seat at the table of their lives and had feelings of scarcity. They had feelings of not having enough. And we're going to look at a passage this morning and study a passage of an interaction that Jesus has with a woman. And hopefully it's going to help us redefine our relationship with money and perhaps even redefine how money should play a part in our country and in this elective season. So I want you to grab your Bible. We're going to look at the book of Mark. It's found on page 709. Mark 12. We're starting in verse 41. And I want to give you a little bit of context. Jesus had just finished up teaching for a long period of time. He had just been giving sermons and he decided to stop. And throughout his sermons, people were asking questions and he stopped preaching and he went and he sat down and the text tells us very clearly that he sat in a very specific place in the temple. So we're going to start Mark 12 verse 41 page 709 and it says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple 
treasury. So let's pause for just a minute. Let's think about where Jesus is sitting in the temple. He's just sitting directly across from the place where people would go and they would make their offering, okay? I mean, can you imagine if a few moments ago when Abella said, you know, we're going to turn and we're going to, you know, we're going to pass the, the offering and we're going to receive the offering this morning and there's a bucket that's going to go down your row. If, you know, maybe when she asked you to turn and say hello to your neighbor, maybe you were distracted, you didn't do that. And then during the time when you passed the bucket, you turn and you looked at your neighbor and you're like, Jesus, wow, I, I didn't know you were here this morning, you know, and Jesus is sitting next to you, Okay. During the offering, what would you do during that moment, okay? What would you do in that moment? And that's kind of what's happening here, okay? Jesus is sitting across from the place where people are coming and making their offering. The text, it goes on and it says this, many rich people came and they threw in large amounts of money. But then a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, and they were worth only a few cents. So let's pause. Jesus sees many people coming, and there's all different kinds of people coming, and they're making their offerings. So there's people of great means, and they're coming, and they're, they're making their offering to Jesus, and then comes this woman, this widow, and she comes and makes her offering. And Jesus sees exactly what she puts in the offering. He, she, he sees that she takes two coins and puts it in there. And listen to what Jesus does in the moment. He pulls his disciples together and he says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. So this woman, this widow, she comes and she gives everything that she has in this moment. And something tells me that what Jesus saw in her is not the two coins that she put in, not what those two coins added up to, but he saw the relationship that she had with this. He saw how she viewed her money. And more importantly, he saw how she viewed who her money came from. You see, I believe that rich or poor whether you believe you have much or you believe you have little, every one of us looks at this one of two ways. We look at money through the lens of scarcity or we look at money through the lens of sufficiency. We look at money through the lens of scarcity that there is never, ever, ever going to be enough or we look at money through the lens of sufficiency. And the widow did not find her sufficiency in this. In fact, she didn't even have much of this. She found her sufficiency in knowing the one who provided everything that she had and she let go of scarcity so that she could experience sufficiency. I even wonder if the passage tells us that she put in everything. 
so that we could wrestle with any part of us that might be holding onto scarcity in our lives. You see, we each, like the widow, have a choice every single time we find ourselves in a setting with money. We have a choice. We have a mindset choice. Will you choose sufficiency or will you choose scarcity? Because by the world's standards, <clears throat> every person in this room has more than enough. By the world's standards, by the world's economic stage, <clears throat> every person in this room has enough. And once we let go, once we let go of the mindset of scarcity, we discover the surprising peace that is waiting for us in sufficiency when it comes to our relationship with money. You see, what happens is we stop measuring one another, we stop measuring ourselves. Sufficiency isn't even found in an amount. Sufficiency is a choice, it's a declaration, a determination that there is enough because we know the one who is enough. And our sufficiency is found in Jesus. Our sufficiency has nothing to do with a number. It has nothing to do with what is in our bank account or what is not in our bank account. You see, I've been all over this globe. I have had meals with people with excessively high net worth. And I have sat in huts with grass over the top and they won't ever have a bank account. And I am telling you, sufficiency has nothing to do with the amount of money that you have. And what Jesus wants us to know and what I believe Jesus was saying to his disciples in that moment with the widow is he wants to help us develop an appreciation for money, not a preoccupation with money. Yeah. It is good. <laughs> I agree. I'm gonna start taking you with me, girl. You got a Cubs jersey on too. Hire her. Jesus wants you to let go of the preoccupation that you have with money so that you can actually develop a healthy appreciation for it. Because I'm not saying that we don't need money or that we don't need to have a healthy relationship with money. We do, we do. But when it becomes a preoccupation, we give this power that it was never intended to have. Because this is the thing, Jesus knows that what you appreciate, appreciates. What you appreciate, appreciates. That's good too, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> Let me say it how Jesus said it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you treasure is what's gonna grow. What you appreciate always appreciates. And I wonder for you where you would put yourself when it comes to scarcity or sufficiency. And I've spent some time this last week reading a fantastic book that I would really encourage you to pick up. It's called The New Money Mindset. It's a great read. I read it in one week, so you can do it too. And they say there are five different ways that we all feel about 
money. We all have a feeling about money. And the first thing that they say is some of us, we have a feeling that we're just surviving. <laughs> that we're just surviving. And we have this feeling of, of being drained, of being trapped with little sense of hope. Others of us, the feeling that we experience with money is a feeling of struggle. That we're just struggling, feeling strapped in the present and always anxious about the future. Others have a feeling of stability, feeling okay, experiencing a relative calm. But if you're really honest, you're hoping there's going to be more. There's others that feel secure, feeling mostly confident. And then there are those that live in a feeling of surplus, feeling grateful and their resources are something that they are ready to share. Now what's amazing to me about these five mindsets is that I do not believe that these five mindsets have anything to do with the amount of money you have. You see, you can have, you can have very little and still see yourself as a person in surplus. Or you can have extreme amounts of money and still feel like you are just surviving. This last week, uh, I had a fun experience. I got to go to one of our small groups here and hang out with uh, a group of girls. And at the end of the small group, um, they did a whole thing where they were like, okay, we're going to ask you a whole bunch of questions. And so they could just ask me whatever question they wanted to ask me. And it was really fun. And one of the girls asked me this question. She said, I'm just curious, like, what was it like for you, like, about seven years ago when you guys were, you know, dreaming up this church and, and planning to move from Atlanta, where you were living at the time, up to Chicago? You had two small kids, you had an almost two-year-old, a four-year-old, and our nation was going into the single greatest economic downturn, downturn that it had been in in a number of years. What did that feel like? I was like, well, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> I said, it felt both terrifying and exhilarating. It felt both terrifying and exhilarating. And when she asked the question, I didn't tell them this story, but it reminded me of a moment when we were living back in Atlanta. It was Christmas time, and we were about to move up here the beginning of March. And so we were saving up for a move. We were going to do the whole move ourselves. We were going to load everything into U-Hauls and drive them up to Chicago. And we had now, you know, no longer been receiving paychecks from our, you know, previous employer. And so that beautiful thing that happens on the 15th and the 30th where they just put money in your bank. It's so amazing. That was no longer happening for us. Somebody wasn't providing our health care benefits. We had to go out and buy our health care benefits for our kids. And, you know, our parents thought we were absolutely crazy. Like, who does something like this? Only crazy people do something like this, you know. And we were starting to think we were crazy. And, and I remember the feelings of scarcity dripping over me. Having this wild vision and this hope that we have a God that is sufficient and we need to create a church that helps people know that there's a God that is sufficient. And yet all the while I am feeling overwhelmed with scarcity. 
and fear. And we had some friends come over and we were, you know, in the process of saying goodbye to people and some friends had come over and we hung out for a little bit. And when they were leaving, um, the guy came up to us and he said, hey, I, I just I have a little something for you guys. And this is just a card. We're so excited for you. And, you know, we're just thrilled about the adventure that is ahead for you. And you can read it later, but I just want to let you know that what's inside, you have to use this for your kids. And so I was like, oh gosh, thank you so much. It's so kind. You know, I didn't know what was inside. And he went home and we eventually put the kids down and got them to bed and cleaned up the kitchen and came and sat down and opened up this card. And inside the card was a couple hundred dollars. And inside the card, he had written us a note. He and his wife had written us a note and just said, this is for you to buy some Christmas presents for your kids because my hunch is, you probably decided not to do that since you're planning a big move. And, and he was right, because in my mind, the grandparents were gonna give them all kinds of presents, and they were two and four, and they weren't gonna remember whether I gave them presents or not, but I needed a U-Haul to get up to Chicago. And this friend of ours had given us this money to be able to buy our kids some presents, and I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed with just the abundance and the sufficiency of God. He didn't know that we had made that decision. He had no idea that that's what we were planning to do. And I called him up and I was like, Billy, why did you do that? I mean, I'm so grateful that you did that, but why did you do that? He said, Jeannie, I didn't really do that. See, here's the thing. It's not my money. I'm just moving God's money around. I'm just moving God's money around. And what I did was I just moved God's money in your direction. And one day you're going to have an opportunity to move God's money in somebody else's direction. And I believe that in that moment, our friends began to bless us with a whole new money mindset. That there is more than enough. There is more than enough. In fact, believing you have enough releases the energy to live a life of enough. Believing you have enough releases the energy to live a life of enough. And what this world needs, what this election needs, is for people to vote with a whole new relationship with money. You know, the candidates on the ballot, they each have a stance. They have stances on immigration. They have stances on gun control. They have stances on entitlements. They have stances on rights for all people. They have stances on energy and the environment and healthcare and criminal justice and education and campaign finance. And they have stances on what you should do and what I should do with our money. But Jesus did not call us to be people that just align with a stance. He called us to be people that would take a stand. That would take a stand and would develop a whole new relationship with this. Can you imagine, can you just imagine if a group of people in Chicago said, I am no longer going to give this power in my life. I'm going to develop a new relationship with it. A healthy relationship with it. I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust and I'm going to make all of my decisions knowing the God who is enough has given enough so that I can live a life 
of enough. You know, for so many, money is the most universally motivating, mischievous, maligned, and misunderstood part of their life. But for those of us that move over to sufficiency, that choose to no longer have a relationship with this that is held through scarcity, and that we live a relationship of sufficiency, money is used to change the world. You see, this in and of itself, it's not evil. It's what we do with it. It's what we do with it. And that's why Jesus invites us to create a whole new relationship with it. And I just want to say to those of you here at Soul City Church that have let go of scarcity in your lives and you've chosen sufficiency and you've chosen generosity and you've chosen to put your hope in a God who is enough and who gives enough so that you can live a life that is enough. Thank you. Thank you for how you give to what God is doing here. Thank you to those of you that give above and beyond to make for the love possible. Thank you for the ways that you vote with your resources here by saying, I trust, I trust in a God that is sufficient. I trust in a God that actually laid down his life. I trust in a God that actually gave his all as well as he gave his son, Jesus. And that widow is the most beautiful picture of the same generosity that Jesus has shown us by laying down his life for us. You see, we have a God who is over it all. Proverbs 22.2 says, Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. He's the maker of them all. And our God has held nothing back from us. And I wonder, will you be a person that takes a stand and chooses to trust the sufficiency of God? I want to invite you to stand and we're going to move into a time of worship. And you know, I know last night there were people all over this city that had their hands raised in hope. Some of you have never prayed before and you started praying to God last night. And you know, I know that most of the time, I kind of just make a fool of myself down here in the front row, going for it, raising my hands, dancing and singing and loving the Lord. And my hunch is some of you were doing that last night over a little tiny white ball that was being thrown to a wooden bat. And you were raising your hands and you were cheering and you were just hooting and hollering and you were praying to God that some runs would be scored. And I just want to say to you, Soul City Church, why wouldn't you bring that here? Why wouldn't you bring that to the God who has given his all for you and for me? You know, I sometimes lay awake at night and I dream about who Soul City is becoming and it has nothing to do with that building. 
has nothing to do with the bricks and the mortar and the ground that is being dug up. It has to do with you. It has to do with you, church, and you becoming a people that say, I will give my all to Jesus because he has given his all to me. So I want to pray for us, and I want to compel you to worship in a way that perhaps you have not worshiped before. Many of us have given a whole bunch of worship to this, but would we be willing to actually worship the one who gives this today? And so Jesus, we love you. And we are so grateful that you have laid your life down for us and we want to do the same. We want to surrender all to you. And we want to stand with arms high and with hearts abandoned to you, Jesus, the one who has given your all. We pray this in your name. Amen.